Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. First of all, I want to thank all of you who helped support KISL and Rapidly Rotating Records through the shirt campaign, which ended a couple of days ago. We were able to hit the goal for the campaign, but I want to emphasize that I greatly appreciate each and every one of you listening, shirt or no shirt. When I started working on this week's show, I had just a note I had jotted down some months ago that simply said, Eugene Field, Poet, 9-2. From that, I spent a lot of time putting together this first segment, and very nearly scrapped it, but kept at it, and I'm pretty happy with the result. Last week, September 2nd, marked the birth in 1850 in St. Louis, Missouri, of American writer and poet Eugene Field. His father, Roswell Martin Field, was an attorney, in fact, the attorney who represented Dred Scott in the suit for his freedom from slavery, Dred Scott v. Sanford, sometimes referred to as the lawsuit that started the Civil War. Although he attended Williams College, Knox College, and the University of Missouri, he was not a serious student, spent more time pulling pranks than studying, and never graduated. In 1873, he began working for the St. Louis Journal, where his humorous column, Funny Fancies, became popular among the paper's readers. In 1875, he settled down a bit, marrying Julia Comstock, with whom he had eight children, and over the next decade or so worked for the St. Joseph, Missouri Gazette, the St. Louis Morning Journal, the Kansas City Times, and the Denver Tribune, before moving to Chicago, where he penned a column called Sharps and Flats. Field started publishing poetry in 1879, much of it light verse for children, and he became known as the Poet of Childhood, ultimately publishing more than a dozen volumes of poetry, with many of his works accompanied by paintings by Maxfield Parrish. Eugene Field died in Chicago of a heart attack on November 4, 1895, and is buried at the Church of the Holy Comforter in Kenilworth, Illinois, and his former home in St. Louis is now a museum. Several of Eugene Field's poems were set to music and recorded commercially, including Winkin', Blinkin', and Nod, The Sugar Plum Tree, Seein' Things at Night, and these. But before I play them, I'll give you a second to grab a tissue. Don't you make any 
gingham dog and the calico cat, side by side on the table sat. It was half past twelve. And what do you think? Nor one nor t'other had slept a wink. The old dust clock and the Chinese plate appeared to know as sure as fate there was going to be a terrible spat. I wasn't there. I simply state what was told to me by the Chinese plate. The gingham dog went, and the calico cat replied, The air was littered an hour or so with bits of gingham and calico, while the old Dutch clock in the chimney place, up with its hands before its face, for it always dreaded a family row. Now mind, I'm only telling you what the old Dutch clock declares is true. The Chinese plate looked very blue and wailed, Oh dear, what shall we do? But the gingham dog and the calico cat wallowed this way and tumbled back, employing every tooth and claw in the awfulest way you ever saw. And oh, how the gingham and calico flew. Don't fancy I exaggerate. I got my news from the Chinese plate. Next morning, where the two had sat, they found no trace of dog or cat. And some folks think unto this day that burglars stole that pair away. But the truth about the cat and pup is this. They ate each other up. Now what do you really think of that? The old Dutch clock, it told me so. And that is how I come to know. Well, after the first two records in that set, I figured I needed to lighten things up a bit, so we finished up our little tribute to Eugene Field with a recitation of his poem, The Duel, better known as The Gingham Dog and the Calico Cat, from his 1879 volume, Love Songs of Childhood. The reader was Cora Mel Patton on Victor 17512, November 8, 1913. Coramel Patton was herself a poet, principal of the Marden School of Music and Expression, gave numerous public programs of recitations, recorded more than two dozen sides for Victor, and was heard on radio. One reviewer wrote, Coramel Patton stands alone among readers and interpreters. Her range and command of voice are remarkable, enabling her to maintain with exceptional adaptation and with lightning changes the dialogue between characters of the most diverse type. In her descriptive renderings, she reveals a quality of tone which cannot be described or explained, but which in its own way goes straight to the heart of the listener. It is the soul of Cora Mel Patton and not merely the voice that speaks. I've made a note to play Cora Mel Patton's recording of Fields Just for Christmas in December. And speaking of fine voices, Coromel Patton was preceded by baritone Royal Deadman, being heard on the show for the first time with Oh Mother My Love. Roland Farley wrote the music, played by an uncredited orchestra on Victrola Red Label Scroll Number 4018 on April 12, 1927. Roland Farley was born on New Year's Day, 1892, so you'll be hearing more from him on the first show of 2022. 
Royal Dadman recorded over 200 sides for Victor, and you'll be hearing several of them on the November 7th show when he gets his own birthday salute. We started with another fine voice, John McCormick, and a musical rendition of Eugene Fields' poem, Little Boy Blue. McCormick sings Little Boy Blue and a number of other songs in his 1930 Fox motion picture, Song of My Heart, for which he was paid the astronomical sum of $500,000, and he recorded Little Boy Blue commercially that same year, but we heard his May 9, 1916 acoustical recording on Victor 64605. Ethelbert Woodbridge Nevin wrote the music, played by the orchestra conducted by Walter B. Rogers, and the trumpet solo was by Emil Kennecke. Emil Kennecke was born in 1866 and is heard on over 200 Victor recordings. I'm trying to find a date of birth, but regardless, you'll definitely be hearing more from him. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. From the intro to the show, you might have guessed that there would be a segment having something to do with Tarzan. Yep, here it is, and I'll tell you why at the end of the segment. Thank you. 
Jimmy Blythe's washboard ragamuffins with Ape Man, a Blythe original from Paramount 12428, made in Chicago in October of 1926. The other two ragamuffins are Johnny Dodds on clarinet and W.E. Buddy Burton on washboard. Before that, Scat Powell with Willie Farmer and his orchestra singing all about the original Ape Man, Tarzan, on Bluebird B-7722, made July 15, 1938. Charles Harold wrote the tune and Fred Fisher the words to Tarzan. So, why a set of rapidly rotating records about Tarzan? Well, because last week I received in the mail the brand new CD by my friends, ragtime pianists Adam Swanson and Domingo Manquello. Now, individually, Adam and Domingo are both fine pianists, but this collaboration is an example of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. And together, they are just incredibly entertaining. The title of the CD is Take Me to the Land of Jazz, the 1919 tune by Bert Kalmar, Edgar Leslie, and Pete Wendling, and the first of 22 ragtime, early jazz, and vaudeville number duets with Domingo, exuberantly singing on many of them. Even if you don't know them, you'll be able to tell from the performances that Adam and Domingo had an absolute blast on this project. You can purchase the CD at Adam's website, adamgswanson.com. That's adamgswanson.com. Oh, and the Tarzan Connection? Well, one of the songs on the CD is Cecil Law's 1921 song, Oh, I Wish I Was Tarzan. It was originally recorded by the British vaudeville trio The Hedges Brothers and Jacobson, and it was also recorded by Ian Whitcomb, and is on his two-CD compilation, The Golden Age of Tin Pan Alley, for which yours truly wrote the liner notes. And it's the perfect vehicle for Domingo, who even takes a bit of poetic license with the lyrics. So do yourself a favor and check out Take Me to the Land of Jazz, the new CD by Adam Swanson and Domingo Manquello, available at Adam's website, adamgswanson.com. And, of course, you can't have Tarzan without Jane. So here's Arthur Ross and his Westerners. Strike 
No one is like Jane, Jane, Jane. Thank you.
Well, there you have two tunes, both titled Jane. We started off with Arthur Ross and his Westerners and The Jane, written by Irving Bebo and Tom Ford. It was recorded October 8, 1928, by Columbia. Now, they're all the same Matrix, but if you bought it on the budget Puritone label, it was credited to Arthur Ross and his Westerners, with vocal by Irving Kaufman. If you bought it on Harmony, it was credited to Ed Blossom and his New Englanders with the vocal by Tom Frawley. And if you bought it on Diva or Velvet Tone, it was credited to Pearlie Stevens and his orchestra, also with Tom Frawley. To top things off, Rust's American Dance Bands lists the group as Arthur Ross's, but Johnson and Shirley's updated American Dance Bands on record and film lists it as the Bar Harbor Society Orchestra. That Jane was followed by The Jane, written by Albert von Tilzer, performed by Sam Lennon's orchestra on Edison 50823, recorded June 14, 1921. Last week, August 31st, marked the birth in 1886 in Odessa, Russia, of the Dean of Tin Pan Alley, L. Wolf Gilbert, to Albert Wolf and Mary Hyman. I'm not quite sure where the surname Gilbert comes in, and in early documents, he's referred to as Lewis Wolf, known throughout his life by family and friends as Wolfie. He came to the U.S. as an infant and grew up in Philadelphia, but left school at age 14 and headed to New York City with the goal of becoming a vaudeville star. After boxing's first world heavyweight champion John L. Sullivan lost the title to gentleman Jim Corbett in 1892, he retired from boxing but spent the next 12 years touring the country with a company of actors called John L. Sullivan's Comedy and Big Vaudeville Company, staging exhibition fights. And one member of the troupe was L. Wolf Gilbert. In December of 1905, Wolf married Kate Striker in Hamilton, Ohio, while he was playing in vaudeville. And the following year, the couple were in New York City, and the first of their four children, daughter Ethel, was born. Despite the fact that he played no musical instruments and didn't read music, in 1912, Gilbert had his first songwriting success with Waiting for the Robert E. Lee, co-written with Louis Muir. At the time, Gilbert was appearing at an entertainment venue at Coney Island called the College Inn. One night, London producer Albert de Courville stopped in, and when he heard the song, Right then and there invited Gilbert and Muir to go to London with a group to be billed as the American Ragtime Octet, with the mission of introducing ragtime to the British. Over Publisher Mill's objections, they went, and by all accounts the tour was successful. I mentioned that Gilbert married his wife Kate in 1905. Although the couple had four children, apparently Wolfie paid too much attention to songwriting and not enough to the family. Trouble began in the early 20s, and by 1924, Kate had had enough and took the kids to Los Angeles and filed divorce proceedings. According to newspaper articles, Gilbert became depressed and unable to write, but in the midst of his despair, he managed to produce the following song. Days and the nights that I spend 
Arthur Fields, William Robin, and Irving Kaufman also recorded it, but there you have Louis James and his August 12, 1924 recording of Why Live a Lie, with the music by Ted Kohler. Charles Prince conducted the orchestra on Victor 19432. Gilbert's eldest daughter bought a copy and sent him a letter saying the song was beautiful, that Kate cried when she heard it, and asking if it was written for her. He called and pleaded with her to return to New York, which she did after annulling the interlocutory decree. With his muse returned, according to the article, the title of Gilbert's next song was You May Be Tired of Your Home Sweet Home, But I'm Gonna Hang On to Mine. Nice story, but I couldn't find any evidence of that song. Nonetheless, apparently the couple stayed together until Kate apparently died sometime before 1940. Wolfie later married Rose, and they stayed together until his death. In the mid-1920s, Gilbert moved to Hollywood, writing for motion pictures and radio, including The Eddie Cantor Show. His television credits include the lyrics for the theme song of this children's TV western. Here he comes, here he comes, there's the trumpets, there's the drums, here he comes, Hopalong Cassidy. Speaking of theme songs, Gilbert wrote the lyrics to the 1928 song Ramona, music by Mabel Wayne, for the silent picture of the same name, considered by some to be the first modern motion picture theme song. In the 1930s, Gilbert concentrated on Cuban songs, writing English lyrics to The Peanut Vendor and Mama Inez, which helped popularize the rumba in America. He also formed his own independent publishing company to promote his own catalog. He joined ASCAP in 1924 and was a director for many years. Even at age 82, he was on the Public Relations Committee and regularly flew from L.A. to New York for meetings. His autobiography is titled Without Rhyme or Reason, and L. Wolf Gilbert died in Los Angeles on July 12, 1970. His original gravesite was at Hillside Memorial Park in Culver City, but he was later reinterred at Forest Lawn near Palm Springs. Here are three from the pen of Wolfie Gilbert. Listening to their harmony 
and this refrain rings in my memory. Chiquita, the chapel on the hill. 
covered with you. Reminds me that tears of sorrow await me at dawn tomorrow. A love kiss I'll beg or borrow from memory. Remember the sunset, Chiquita. The day that we first met, Chiquita. The rose within your hair, I send its fragrance everywhere. Oh, come back, Chiquita, to me. song is I Miss My Swiss, isn't it? Yes, but it has nothing at all to do with Swiss cheese, Ernie. That just reminds me, Bill. What was it you said to that delicatessen store man last night about that Limburger cheese? I said to him, how do you sell that Limburger cheese? And he said, that's something I often wondered myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll sing I Miss My Swiss. All right. mountain climber, and oh, how the boy could climb. In cold July, he climbed so high, believe me, I don't lie. He almost touched the sky, and here's the reason why. She was a shepherd's daughter, who lived on the highest peak, where he'd chase her, and she'd chase him, and they'd play hide and seek. One day, he lost his sweetheart, he looked for her in vain, and now this mountain climber keeps singing this refrain. I miss, I miss my Swiss, my Swiss, my Swiss miss misses me. I miss, I miss the bliss, the bliss that Swiss kiss gives to me. I hear a yodeling sweet melody, like the birds and the bees. Run. The Schweitzer tree, her dear, her dear, papa, papa makes watches that are Swiss. That's why, that's why he watches me like this. I lost her in the mountains, in the mountains she must be. I miss, I miss my Swiss, my Swiss, my Swiss, my Swiss miss misses me. Pretty song, isn't it? Very catchy, Ernie. 
was a bear in snowshoes, and oh, how the boy could ski. He'd ski away, he'd ski all day, he'd ski without a guide. And she'd ski by his side, when they'd ski for a ride. No wonder he's broken hearted, he's lonesome as he can be. There's no one now to call his own, and he can't ski alone. He gave up mountain climbing, he couldn't stand the strain. And now he's washing windows and singing this refrain. Say, that's quite a drop, isn't it, Ernie, from a mountain climber down to a window washer? <laughs> I should say it is. Say, Bill, I like the chorus of this song, and I think that you could sing a good obli... obli what do you Obligato? Call it? Uh, no, I've been uh, obligoblum. <laughs> Will we sing it, Bill? Yes, all right. All right. I miss holiday, my trip, my trip, Miss Miss is me. I miss the bliss, that trip is Miss me. She was a working girl down on her knees, in her yard working hard, pun. Holes in cheese. I looked for her. I nearly broke my scalp. I tripped and dipped from L to L. There must be other climbers who could tell where she could be. I miss my Swiss. My Swiss. My Swiss. Miss misses me. The Happiness Boys, Billy Jones and Ernie Hare, accompanied by pianist Dave Kaplan, with I Miss My Swiss, music by Abel Bear. That's a rather intricate vocal arrangement with the yodeling, and it took a while, but they finally got it right on take four of the July 1st, 1925 session, issued on Victor 19718. I Miss My Swiss was featured in La Chauve-Cerie, the bat in French, a Russian touring review created and directed by Armenian actor Nikita Baliev. La Chauve-Cerie consisted of songs, dances, and sketches, and one of the most popular acts was the Parade of the Wooden Soldiers. Other songs heard in the U.S. productions were O Katerina, You Ought to Hear Olaf Laugh, and Where Is My Meyer. The show toured all over the world, but made its first tour of the U.S. in 1922, making six appearances on Broadway the last in 1931. It also made a 65-consecutive-week tour from Washington, D.C. to California. Before the Happiness Boys, Louis James, with Victor Arden and Phil Oman and their orchestra, with one of a surprising number of recordings of Chiquita. This one was made by Victor on June 28, 1928, and issued as catalog number 21513. Mabel Wayne wrote the tune. My wife's unmarried name is Adair, so for her, I started the segment with my sweet Adair. Okay, all together now. Aww. James F. Harrison and James Reed are credited on the label of Columbia A1831, waxed August 16, 1915, but their real names are Frederick J. Wheeler and Reed James. Anatole Friedland wrote the music to My Sweet Adair. This very record and the Joseph W. Stern sheet music are elaborately framed and hanging on the wall of our living room. All together now, aww. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. Earlier in the show, you heard from Scat Powell, 
And I did a bit of sleuthing and found an article in the February 23, 1936 Jackson, Mississippi Clarion Ledger about him, and I think he deserves a bit more recognition. Scat Powell was actually Jack Hughes Powell, Jr., born in Enid, Oklahoma, on Christmas Eve, 1913. He enrolled in Oklahoma University to study metallurgy and was a star member of the football team, but he had already been a vocalist with the Paul Christensen Band when he was just 17 and was known as a singer and entertainer on campus. At the urging of his Sigma Alpha Epsilon fraternity brothers, he went to Chicago in 1933 to pursue a singing career. Frankie Masters was appearing at the College Inn at the Hotel Sherman, and Jack asked for a chance to demonstrate his vocal talents. Masters hired him on the spot and dubbed him Scat Powell. After the College Inn, he was heard at the Club Forest in New Orleans, the Club's Continental and Clover in Hollywood, and at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. He also managed to land an uncredited role in the 1935 William Powell Gene Harlow picture, Reckless. How he came to join Willie Farmer's band, I don't know, but following his brief tenure there, he appeared in the Ziegfeld Follies of 1939. During World War II, Jack was a tank commander in the 8th Armored Division in Europe, after which he returned to singing on the hotel and nightclub circuit. In 1948, he returned to Oklahoma to be near his mother and became a disc jockey on WKY. Jack Scat Powell died November 10, 1972, and is buried at Summit View Cemetery in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Here are two more from Scat Powell. Now once there lived an old man with a very crooked nose He lived inside a log hut and they called him Old Man Moe One dark and dreary morning I knocked upon his door I didn't hear a single sound so I ain't gonna do it no more Cause I believe, old man. yes I believe, old man. I do believe old man. That Old Man Moe is dead, oh I believe, old man. I sure believe old man. Yes, I believe old man. that old man Moses dead. We believe he kicked the bucket. We believe most kicked the bucket. We believe most kicked the bucket and old man Moses dead. We believe most kicked the bucket. We believe most kicked the bucket. We believe most kicked the bucket and old man Moses dead. I went round to the window and I peeked into a crack. Inside there was an old man lying flat upon his back. Thought that he was sleeping, his head hung to the floor. He didn't make a single sound, so I ain't gonna do it no more. Cause I found out, oh man, yes, I found out, oh man, I did find out, oh man, that old man most dead. Oh, I found out, oh man, I sure found out, oh man, yes, I found out, oh man, that old man Moses dead. We found out, most kicked the bucket, we found out, hopsy buck buck bucket, we found out, most kicked the bucket, and old man Moses dead. We found out, ah, oh, bucket, we found out, hopsy buck buck bucket, we found out, most kicked the bucket, and old man Moses dead. Most kick the bucket, 
just I found out that Moses kicked the bucket. Well, I found out that Moses kicked the bucket and old man Moses dead. Well, I found out, yes, I found out. Well, I found out that Moses kicked the bucket and old man Moses is dead. <laughs> Fitzgerald, who wrote A Tisket, A Tasket, along with Al Feldman. But there you have Scat Pal and his rendition, backed by Willie Farmer and his orchestra. That's from Bluebird B-7687, made July 1, 1938. In the same session, the band recorded Old Man Mose, written by Louis Armstrong and Zillner Randolph. But that effort, recorded in RCA's New York Studio One, was rejected. So the band came back exactly two weeks later, set up in Studio 2, and got it right, issued as Bluebird B-7685. Zillner Trenton Randolph was born January 27, 1899 in Dermot, Arkansas, and was a trumpeter and arranger for Armstrong in the early 30s. 
He also arranged for Earl Hines, Woody Herman, Fletcher Henderson, and Duke Ellington, and led his own quartet in the 40s, after which he was primarily a music educator. Zillner Randolph retired in the 70s and died in Chicago on February 2, 1994. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. If you had half as much fun as I did, then I had twice as much fun as you. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention. <laughs>